Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. And man, this, what a blessing. Thank you, ladies. That's, that's outstanding. We think at Christmas time, man, we, we have this message just over and over again, the coming of the Christ child and what that means. And we've talked about it all month long. And, you know, when we do Christmas, we think about gifts, you know, if you got your shopping done or that sort of thing, but it really is all about the greatest gift that's ever been given, is it not? I mean, God gave the ultimate gift when he gave Jesus Christ to all of us, and it's, it's because of his tremendous generosity. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with us giving gifts to one another. It's just a season of generosity. Remember the ultimate generosity, and let's be generous. What's wrong with that? Um, one of the things that we like to do, by the way, here at First Baptist Church every year is is also be generous. And we can be generous as a church because so many of you are generous and faithful in your giving. And so every year we have some special gifts that we give out. And in past times we brought people up here and let them share with you about their organizations. Today I just want to mention to you three different organizations that our church has made contributions to this month. Um, in the amount of $2,000 each. One of them is an organization we've worked with for a long time called Medical Missions Outreach. And without going into a lot of detail, this organization does so much good to help so many people all around the world. And so many of you have been a part of mission trips with Medical Mission Outreach, um, and they just continue to go to countries every single month throughout the year. Um, and, and there's more this year, and there's some of you that are planning on going on some of those this year. And Uh, So many of us went on one this last year in the country of Albania, and Medical Missions Outreach has uh, an enormous budget requirement, and the amount of money that the participants pay to go on the trips don't fully cover all the the work and the supplies needed for them to run their organization, so we made an extra donation to them. Uh, And then locally, what we did is we made, uh, picked two organizations um, that kind of works similarly. One of them is the Tuscarawas Board of the Developmentally Disabled, and the other one is Horizons. And you probably are aware, and if you're not aware, you need to be aware, that at First Baptist Church for well over 30 years, we have a ministry called Good Shepherds that right now is meeting in room 110 over here down the hallway to the developmentally disabled. And if it weren't for the Millard family uh, that has led that up for their whole lives, then we wouldn't have that ministry. But, but praise the Lord, what a tremendous outreach and caring for people that sometimes are forgotten. And um, so we've made donations to both of those organizations. On behalf of them, let me say to you uh, that they have sent their sincere thanks for our generosity. And I want to say to you that it's your faithful giving. Specifically, these funds come from your giving to missions. Uh, if, If you give to the general fund of the church, that's fantastic and it's necessary and the Lord asks us to do that. But above and beyond that, we challenge our people to give to missions, and so many of you do. And it, when we give to missions, just know that it doesn't 100% of it doesn't just go outside the borders of the United States. We also take missions giving and do what we would call Jerusalem giving here, uh, local to our area. And so uh, just a time of generosity, a time of giving gifts, and this year these are the organizations that we want to be a part of. Listen, these are organizations that that do in their way the same mission that we do. We want to make a difference in the lives of people. And these are organizations that make a difference in the lives of people, amen. So you can be be proud uh, that we can do something like that. 
What we have been studying uh, this month are the songs, though, and we sing, we're singing the Christmas songs, and, and we're actually taking the text and the message from different Christmas songs, which, by the way, the music and the songs and the poetry that goes into the songs, I mean, that is a gift. It's a gift of creativity that these artists put together so that we can enjoy them, and so uh, this is what we're doing. I want this week to do our Bible study with a little bit of a different focus. We have spent a good bit of time looking at a couple of songs the last couple of weeks that obviously lay out the Christmas story, and they have some pretty solid Bible doctrine in them. And we've seen a lot of things going all the way back to eternity past and going to the future kingdom, and it's been really great. But one of the ways that I enjoy the songs, personally, is I just like to take the message and personalize it. I like to take the message and just make it my own and say, well, how does that apply to me personally in my life? And so um, that's what I want us to do. The title I've given today's message is Personalizing the Savior's Coming. And, and the song that we're going to be looking at is the song, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, uh, just for singing a song, is one of my all-time favorites. And so it's one of my all-time favorites. It's a beautiful song, and we'll sing it at the end of the service today. But it's one of my all-time favorites because of the way that you can personalize it, by the way you can make it your very own. And that's what I would like for us to do. When we think about the Savior's coming today, of course we think about the babe in the manger, and we think about the three gifts that were given to him, and and we think about all of those things. But I, I want us to think today about the Lord coming into our lives. I want us to think about how that applies to each of us individually. Um, and so as we walk through, we're gonna, again, we're going to look at the poetry of the lyrics. Uh, we're going to make some Bible comparisons and show how the Scriptures defend these points and making personal application to our lives. Um, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. If you glance at your handout, if you happen to follow along in the handout, there's a lot of Bible references there. Uh, we're going to go through them real quick. We'll, we'll get through it, trust me. Um, but, but let me just say, there's nothing like the Bible to change your life, amen? I mean, I could tell you nice stories, and you could read a good book or whatever, but the thing that changes your life, if your life is going to change, is the power of the Word of God. God's Spirit working through God's Word. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll set our hearts in place to receive what He has for us today. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly, thankfully, just praising your holy name for all that you have done. Uh, God, if you didn't, decide that you would do something to rescue us from our sin, uh, we'd be on our way to hell. Helpless, hopeless, no chance, no way out. And a lot of the world is that way today. I pray, Lord, as we take on this subject, that we would just refresh in our minds how you came to give us life. I pray for each and every one, to be able to make their own personal application, whatever that might be, wherever they're at in their heart and their life, wherever they're at in their spiritual journey and walking with you and their relationship with you, that today would reveal something, that they can make personal application and come away from here thinking, wow, that really helped me today. And I'll never look at that song the same way again either. Lord, specifically, I want to pray for anybody who's here who has yet to understand and experience what it means to have a real, living, personal relationship with you as Lord and Savior, the life-changing event that it is, that today would be the day that they would recognize that. And today would be the day that they would just surrender their hearts to that. Lord, we love you, and we offer this to you in your holy name. Amen. 
So the first point we're going to look at, I'm calling the conception of a personal relationship. And so I've kind of set that up already, how we have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. This is all about being very personalized with the lyrics of the song. I'm going to go through some of the lyrics and the different stanzas. The first stanza goes like this. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We'll stop here for a second. We'll get to the rest of it before we're done. So when we look at this, the first thing we're going to look at is what I'm calling our situation. Our situation is that that last line that I read, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Uh, In case you're not familiar with the word pining, the idea just has to do with you're going downhill. You're going the wrong way. You're fading out. There's There's a level of sorrow and longing that go with that. But the world lays for a long time going the wrong way in sin and in error. And if we look at it from the perspective of the whole world, I just want to remind you of some things that most of you are already aware of, how it all started. If you're new to church, maybe this is your first time, and we're so glad you're here. Don't be embarrassed. We're going to explain these things to you. But the whole story of God and man starts, of course, in the book of Genesis in chapter number 1 and verses 26 to 28, where God finally, on day number 6, creates man. And it says when he created man, he created man in his own image. And after his own likeness, and he gave man something to do, which was very simple. We would refer to it today maybe as the Great Commission. But in the Old Testament, he basically just said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, You could compare other places and see how Adam literally is referred to in the Gospel of Luke as the Son of God. God made Adam and he made Eve and he made them absolutely perfect and holy and put them in the Garden of Eden and they were in God's image. They were in God's likeness. Well, that didn't last very long. The the devil shows up in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, he tempts Eve and ultimately causes her to eat the fruit of the one and only tree that God said you must not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, And she believed the devil, and she took the fruit, and she ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. And at that moment in history, sin entered the world. That's when it happened. So, you know, that was the beginning of, you know, all the mess we're in now. Uh, Continuing in Genesis chapter 5, if we read the first few verses of Genesis chapter 5, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, this is after the sin enters the world. This is important for you Bible students to get this chronology down. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. We saw that in Genesis 1. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Okay, and Adam lived 130 years, so it's after sin now, right? And begat a son in his own likeness and after his, I might add, sinful image and called his name Seth. So Adam's children, from that point forward, all of them are born in his fallen, sinful image, which carries on to to today. That's why we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we are all sinners, of course. I think everybody probably understands and agrees with that. Not just because we do sin, which we do, but we do sin because we can't help it. 
we have inherited the nature of sin from Adam through the generations. That's just the situation that the world lies long in sin and in error. It all started right after the creation. And only 1,500 years only, but about 1,500 years roughly, after Adam in the garden, we have it come to a culmination of sin in Genesis chapter 6 where God says, and we looked at this last week, man, the sin of the earth is so terrible, I can't stand it anymore. I'm sorry that I even made man. I'm going to have to come and I'm going to have to judge it. And he made the determination to judge it with a flood. And so Noah's flood shows up to basically judge the world and start over. And so you know the story. It's Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives. So eight human beings only survived the judgment of God. Oh, and a, a whole bunch of animals, right? So, you know, the animal rights guys would like that, I guess. Um, except for the fact that after the flood, animals became okay to be food not sure how that plays into the animal. Okay, and never mind. So God had to judge him and then start over. And he gave Noah the same commission when he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Of course, there's only eight of you. We've got to start over. Okay, so they began to do that. And the story continues in through the body of the Old Testament. And over and over again, this sin problem can't be escaped. So you have many references in Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. But there weren't. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. And there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 39.5 Behold, thou hast made my days as an hand breath, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man notice at his best state, God says, is altogether vanity. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That kind of takes us back to Romans 5.12, that we had no chance, right, because of Adam's sin, and every generation that's born is inheriting this sin nature. David understood that in Psalm 51. Psalm 58, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born. Speaking lies. You know that's true, parents, don't you? You know that's true, right? I ought to be able to get an amen there, right? I mean, you don't have to teach your kids to lie. You don't say, now, this is how you lie. Practice. Here, repeat after me. They know. Who broke that lamp? I didn't do it, right? I mean, everybody, look, man, you, you're, you're lying. Because we have sin in our nature. It's true of all of us. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, they're like filthy rags. We have no inherent good in us. Uh, oh, you know, every, every little boy and little girl, they're, they're good, they're pure from birth. Well, not biblically speaking. We have a sin nature. We have a real problem. That's our situation. That's what we find ourselves living our lives in. 2,500 roughly more years pass, and then Jesus shows up as the baby in the manger. And since that time, another 2,000 have clicked off. We're about 6,000 years into human history at this point, and boy, can we say that the world has laid in sin and in error 
for a long time, can't we? Romans chapter 3 kind of repeats from Psalm 14. It expounds a little bit starting in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Merry Merry Christmas, y'all. The world in which we live is going the wrong direction, and it's going that way faster and faster and picking up speed, isn't it? Such that we get to the point where the Bible refers to this time of the last days in which I believe we currently exist. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, could be a description that you keep on the side as you watch the, the news every night on TV and see if you don't see a version of what we're about to read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 every day when you read the newspaper. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such hang out with as many hours of the day as you can. No, of course not. Turn away from these people. Okay, well, the idea is is that our world's in a big mess. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. So what, what will God be doing? Well, he'll basically be doing a similar thing to what he did back in the days of Noah. He will judge it. He has to judge it. He's perfect and holy and righteous. And that's what we'll see, for example, in Revelation chapter 20. At the end of that chapter, starting in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. This is after the second coming. It's actually at the end of the millennial reign. This is at the end of time of man. And it says, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And all of them will fail. Why? Because you're not saved according to your works. Your works, your, your very best state is vanity. Your very most righteous deeds are filthy rags. So when you're judged according to your works, you're in a bad situation. You don't need the justice of God. You need the mercy of God. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there is a way to find yourself written in the book of life. We'll see that in just a moment. moment, But Okay, so that's kind of the history of the world, but I said we're going to personalize this. So very briefly, let me just give you my personalization, and you can make your own personalization. But in my life, if I say long lay my life in sin and error pining, well, I was 22 years old when I heard the gospel for the first time and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I know that depending on where you're at in your life, you might say, well, 22, that's not that much. Well, it was enough for me to do a pretty good job at perfecting 
my version of sin. Let me tell you that. I was pretty good at my version of sin. There were things that I did, bad things that I did, but I did them well. How about that? And if I am so fortunate to be able to live on this earth 88 years, well, that's a fourth of my life that was wasted. That's a long time. I'm 55 years old today, and I feel like I'm still playing catch-up to make up for all the time that was wasted. Now, you younger people, you've received the Lord at a younger age. Praise the Lord for that. What a blessing that is. Don't now waste the privilege and the blessing that you have that you came to know the Lord at an earlier age in your life. But in my life, certainly I can say that, wow, for 22 years I was, you know, Lost like a golf ball in high weeds, man. I, 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 was, I, was, I was without hope and without God in the world. That's what it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 12. That at that time, ye, it could have talked about me. It talks about me. We're without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's our general situation. But thank God we're not stuck in that situation, right? So the next thing in your notes is his solution. And the stanza goes on to say, after the long lay of the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared, yay, and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And and I remember, man, how that personally, how that applied to me in my life in 1983. That's when I got saved. When he appeared to me, when he came into my life and he gave me a new and glorious morning. The next verse in Ephesians 2 is verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, before you had no hope and no God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh unto the Lord. How? By the blood of Christ. Man, he, he's appeared in me. He's appeared in probably most all of you. But each and every one of you need to ask that question today. Are you sure? Are you sure that he actually has taken up residence in your life? How can you know for sure? Well, the song says, it's not the scripture, but the song says the soul felt his worth. It's interesting, this thing of salvation, the salvation of the soul the Bible talks about. James chapter 1 and verse 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, notice, which is able to save your souls. Uh, Biblically, the soul, it's a technical term. You have the flesh, the body, the outer shell that you have to live in, right, while you're on earth. And when your physical life ends, you are, your soul, the real you on the inside, the non-physical you living inside the body, is separated from the body. The body returns to the earth and the soul then to the Lord. If you're saved, right, he will save your souls. James 5.20, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 1 and verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So man, there is something to the fact that when Jesus Christ comes into your heart and your life, you don't look any different and 
A lot of the circumstances of your life are the same, but man, if it's a reality, if, if something really happened and he really came, you really surrendered and you really trusted him, man, he changes you and you know it. There's something inside of you that just knows it's different. And let me just tell you, friends, if your Christianity is nothing more than feeling like you're checking off a list of things you should or shouldn't do, and I've got to be at church a certain number of times, and I've got to give a certain amount of money to charity, and I've got to whatever, and if you think, and, and after a while it wears on you like, man, I'm just kind of tired of doing this. You've got to wonder whether your soul has really and truly been regenerated because, man, when he appears in your life, it is true, isn't it? Your soul feels it. It feels it. Now, we don't live by our feelings, but it is a good result of what happens. It says a thrill of hope. Wow, I mean, we've got some good things going on. So I define hope for you as the expectation of a sure future. Hope, that's what hope is biblically. Hope is never like, uh, are you going to go to heaven? I hope so. <laughs> Not really. How do you know? Well, I don't know, but I'm, i got my fingers crossed, you know. I'm trying to do good. I haven't done really bad things. Well, that's what a lot of people think. Biblically, that's not hope at all. That's like, I don't really have any idea, but I'm wishing for the best. Biblical hope is there's a promise out there, and the promise is for something still yet future. It hasn't occurred yet, but I have the hope in knowing that when this life's over, man, I've got a life waiting for me. I'm going to live with the Lord forever in peace and joy and harmony. That's a sure thing. It's just yet future. So that's what biblical hope is. It's the expectation of this future that is sure. And whenever the Bible uses the word hope, it uses it with that context. I got three references from the three chapters of the little book of Titus, which is all about hope, actually, where it says in the first couple of verses, Paul, a servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life. Your hope is eternal life. There is a life, it is eternal, it's going to last forever after this life is over, right? And I have the hope of that now. The hope is eternal life. And how can I be so sure? Well, I love this second verse, which God, oh, by the way, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. How do I know? Because he said so. Well, how do you know he didn't lie? Well, because he said he couldn't lie. (laughs) That's how I know. Okay, well, if you have problems with that, then, you know. Take it up with God. He said that. That's what he said. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because we're looking forward to something. And that something we're looking forward to is certain. It just hasn't happened yet. It's called that blessed hope. That blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His return to judge this earth and its unrighteousness. His return to make sure that we have a home in heaven. That is the, the blessed hope. We have the hope, the sure understanding of something that's going to happen. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse number 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared which, like I mentioned earlier, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, 
those of us who have received Christ as Savior, we are justified by His grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, it's that thing that's out there in the future. And if you have that hope, then you also have, the next thing I put in your notes, a new start. You got a fresh, clean slate. Let me just tell you something. Again, everybody's got their own story. Nobody's story is better than anybody else's story. I can only share mine. 22 years. Okay, so the first, you know, 15 were okay, I guess, socially speaking. But about age 16 to 22, I mean, you know, I kind of flipped the switch, okay? So when I got saved, I've said this before, boy, my soul felt the worth, and I felt, not that you have to, but I did feel, man, I got a fresh start. When the Bible talks about being born again, back when that happened to me in 1983, I had no earthly idea what that phrase meant. I thought it was a weird phrase that weird people said. I had no idea what it meant. But it's a Bible term that Jesus uses because he gives you new spiritual life where you previously did not have it. It is a new birth. That's what it is. Well, I didn't know that theologically, but I knew, wow, I've been forgiven for everything I've ever done. I can start over. Listen, adults, don't you sometimes just wish you could get a great big do-over? Don't you sometimes just wish you could back up the clock just a little bit in some cases and say, man, if I could have just skipped that part, well, life would be a whole lot better. Jesus Christ offers you the great big do-over, a new and glorious morn. That's what it says. Because that's what God does. At the very end of the entire revelation of Scripture, Revelation chapter 21, near the very, very end, in verse number 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Notice, Behold, I make all things new. That's what God does. So if we're going to personalize it, we go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, just like Revelation 21.5, all things, right, are become new. He's given you a fresh start. He's given you a new start. He makes all things new. That's what he does. That's what he did in me personally. So, for example, when we have baptisms and we baptize people in water, which is a picture of, literally, a spiritual baptism, as the Bible refers to it, of your life, you know, you've died with Christ and you've risen with Christ, and so we do the water thing to just picture that for everybody, as God commands us. We typically say this from Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in, here it is, newness of life. He's made all things new. He's made your life new. And so the old man passes away and the new man comes forth and you walk in newness of life. So our life in Christ is a matter of continuing to walk with him, putting on the new man and taking off the old man. And that's Colossians 3. 
9 through 11, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the, new, the old man is your old fleshly nature. The new man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which, by the way, oh yeah, is renewed, there it is, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So, as a result, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. Christ is all and in all. So, listen, it's a church full of people who come to church all the time. It's Christmas time, and most all of you have an experience. Most all of you have your story. Most of you know that you know that this happened in your life, and in your heart you're rejoicing because you know that. But there's very likely somebody here, I don't know, maybe several somebodies who just don't know that. They wish they could know that. They've been wanting to know that. But deep in your soul, there's something that's been bugging you. You know that maybe you've done some things that you're ashamed to talk about. And you're glad nobody else knows about. But you know about them. And maybe you feel guilt. And maybe you feel pressure. And maybe you feel like, well, that's a great story for nice church people, but not a guy like me. Let me tell you, there's good news for you. Nothing, no sin is so great that it's greater than God's grace and ability to forgive. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you on the authority of God's word, it does not matter what you have done. What matters is what will you do now with what you know? See, the only sin that sends anybody to hell is the sin of rejecting the offer of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Don't make that mistake. He can forgive and will forgive as he has forgiven millions of us for the terrible things that we've done. How do I get my fresh new start, you might ask? Well, I love this chorus in this song, Fall on Your Knees, right? Fall on your knees. Repent. Surrender your heart and your life. Pour it out to him. Ask him to do it. That's how you conceive a new personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, those of you that have been coming every week this month, have you noticed that every week, no matter what song we talk about, there's a gospel message presented? Have you noticed that? Well, isn't that appropriate? Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life. Is it not appropriate that everything we study and look at points toward why we need to receive it personally in our hearts and our lives? That's what this is all about, of course. That's the ultimate message of Christ coming to earth. It's nothing else. All right, well, once you've done that, once you're on the inside, once you've received him and, and he, you have this conception of a personal relationship, the second point in our study is the comfort of a personal relationship. Now we're on the, on the faith side, right? And so the second stanza begins by saying, led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. Led by the light of faith. So in your notes I put it this way, walking by faith gives sight. Walking by faith gives sight. Well, Biblically speaking, as we will see, faith literally is the opposite of sight if you consider sight physical sight. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you can see it, you know, they say seeing is believing. No, that's actually not accurate, biblically speaking. Seeing is not believing, because if you can see it, you don't have to believe it. But believing, otherwise, is actually spiritual seeing, if you want to say it that way. Because believing, faith has light. It's believing God's word and walking by that regardless of what you see. God said it's going to work this way. Well, I don't see it. Well, God said it. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to walk according to what God said. Well, it doesn't look like that. Well, who cares what it looks like? God said it. It's the light of faith. That's what it is. And it gives us evidence. That's what Hebrews 11 says in verse 1. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that you can't see. So faith gives evidence when your physical eyes can't see spiritual truth. What I want us to see now that we're on the right side of salvation in this story, in your notes, faith is how we obtain salvation. We got that already. But it's also how we enjoy salvation. Yes, we we obtain salvation by grace through faith. But we don't just obtain it. We also enjoy it and continue to walk in that same faith. Colossians 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... By faith we obtain salvation, so walk ye in him. How did you receive the Lord Jesus Christ? You received him by faith. How should you walk in your life with Christ? You should walk by faith. That's a literal understanding directly proving the point I made. Faith is how we obtain salvation. It's also how we enjoy salvation. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, right? And then he goes on in verse number 17, and he says that herein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. I love this, from faith to faith. From faith to faith. Well, literally, that's your walk of faith. You took a step of faith to trust him. You take another step of faith to follow him. You take another step of faith after that. And the righteousness of God is revealed as you continue to walk step by step of faith in your life with Christ. It goes on and it says that's why the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's very clear. So we see some other admonitions in 1 Corinthians 16. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Here's an old English expression. Quit you like men. In other words, be a man. Stand like a man in faith. Be strong. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's how we enjoy our salvation. So then we're encouraged at the end of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And and I would encourage everybody in our lives, we should all consider this. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, think about it. The Holy Spirit has put this in the Scripture. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Man, you don't want to mess that one up. You want to make sure you don't miss that one, right? So examine yourselves. Make sure that you got the real deal. Prove your own selves. Man, that's what, that's what this coming of Christ is all about, that we would do that. Well, that stanza continues then. The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger. I love this. In all our trials, born to be our friend. 
That's why he came. He came to save us from our sin. And he came then to comfort us by being our friend, by walking with us on this path of life. So I say walking with Jesus gives support. Walking by faith gives sight. Walking with Jesus gives support. I love this. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Notice, ye are my friends. But it's a conditional statement. If you do whatsoever I command you. You know, there's a lot of people that call on the name of Jesus Christ that ignore what he commands us. Are you his friend? Jesus made himself available to be your friend. Man, he just says, just, just believe me. Just trust my word. Walk by faith. Do what I say. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Nothing like that kind of a friend that sticks with you when times are tough, right? Jesus is that kind of a friend. He's born to be our friend. Proverbs 18, 24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. In other words, if you want to have Jesus as your friend, you need to meet the condition of friendship, which is do what he says. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that can, you can apply that to the Lord Jesus being the ultimate friend that sticks closer than any brother, of course. We also have friends in our lives that probably are closer to us than maybe our own flesh and blood. It's possible, right? But because Jesus Christ has been where you are, not in sin, but he has experienced the difficulty of human life. But without sin, he understands. That's Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So whatever you're tempted in, and by the way, there's only three categories. It's called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Just as you are tempted in those three categories, your circumstances are different right? Jesus didn't have an iPhone or whatever. I mean, you're tempted in whatever you're tempted in. He was tempted in what he was tempted in, but it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all there is. He was fully tempted in all of those things, yet without sin. And if I could just take a second and and expound a little bit on how his temptation was worse than yours, okay? Roll with me on this for a second. When you are tempted The pressure builds on you. Wow, man, these guys, peer pressure. My friends are telling me, go do this bad thing or whatever's going on. The pressure is on you to do something you should not do, to do some sin. And you feel the pressure and it mounts and it mounts and it mounts and you resist and it mounts and it mounts until you give in. You know how it is, right, teenagers? Once you give in to the sin and the pressure and the temptation, well, the pressure goes away because you did the thing, right? There's no more pressure. Imagine if you never gave in. Wouldn't that pressure mount and mount and mount? And you never give in, and it mounts and it mounts. Well, Jesus never sinned. Can we conclude that the temptation he went through is far greater than any temptation we ever went through? You think that's fair? I think it's fair. So Jesus understands. He was born to be your friend. He understands these things. And since he's been through it, he comforts us. So that when we go through it, 
we can comfort others. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. The Lord does that. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. How? By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So be comforted. In fact, be comforted in all things. Because there's some great news in the scripture for you. And one of my favorites is Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's a rhetorical question. Obviously not. Nothing. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Life is tough sometimes. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're not more than conquerors because we avoid all these things. We're more than conquerors when we are in all these things because he loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good friend. That's a good friend, amen? That's a friend you want to hang on to. That's a friend that will never let you down. This is how you have fellowship with him. Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Nobody loves the suffering idea. I get it. But the idea is when you go through things, he has been through things. And he comforts you. And you console, he consoles you. Well, that's fellowship. You've just gotten closer to him because you now share something else in common with him. So Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, oh, and it will, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So be comforted in these things. The chorus goes on and says, he knows our need to our weakness. He's, he's no stranger. Behold your king and before him lowly bend. In other words, just submit. Submit to his leadership. Walk with him. Obey his commandments. Prove your friendliness. Let him be your friend. Receive the comfort. Allow him to mold you. Give him control of your daily life. Walk by faith. Quit running your own life. That's how you can relax. That's how you can enjoy your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the last thing we'll see in the third stanza is the con- what I'm calling the confession of a personal relationship. The confession of a personal relationship. It goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. So 
like we talked about, experiencing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, man, that is a life-changing event. And you know that it's true, that it is very normal for you to want to get together and share life experiences with other people who have similar interests as you. Whether that interest is riding a motorcycle or fishing or whatever, working out or reading a certain kind of a book or doing some, whatever your favorite hobby, activity, interest is, there are groups and clubs of people that get together and do it together all the time because they share common interests. So here we're taught to love one another. The, the idea is this, this confession of our lives. These are, these are nat- natural expressions of who we are. You take people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, who have been given the gift of eternal life, who have the thrill of hope, and their soul feels the worth, and Jesus is my friend, and I walk by the light of faith, and I meet other people who are doing that, I want to hang out with you guys. I want to spend time with you. I want to share my experiences with you, and I want you to share your experiences with me. Man, this is the fellowship of the church. This is who we are. This is us spending time together. So that's what I put in your notes. This is love the church. Love the church. Teaching us to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. But it's touching brotherly love. You need not that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He's writing to a church, so the one another are other church people. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, truly, he taught us to love one another. It says his law is love. Ephesians 5, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. That's what he wants us to do. He summarized it in Galatians 5, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We call this brotherly love. That's what we call it. He taught us to have brotherly love. This is your love for the church. And I, I, this is not, I promise, this is not a guilt trip about who comes, how often they come to church. I want you to know that if you truly love the Lord, you will truly love the Lord's people. And you will truly love the opportunity you have to get together with the Lord's people. You understand? Man, when I was newly saved and knew nothing about the facts of Christianity, I was just newly saved and excited about it. I was still a college student, and, you know, college students aren't known for waking up early in the morning if they don't have to and all that sort of thing. That would have been me, and, but not on Sunday. Nobody ever had to call me to wake me up and make sure I didn't forget to come to church, ever. I couldn't wait, man. I couldn't wait because this is true. So loving the church, what is that? This is fellowship. This is the true fellowship of the Christians with one another. The next thing, so that's his law is love, but what about his gospel is peace? Well, let's just call that love the lost. Love the church and love the lost. His gospel is peace. Let's just say that this is the personalized application of peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Let's just make it very personal. His gospel is peace. 
This is the idea of reconciliation. Go back to Ephesians 2. We were reading in there earlier, starting in verse 14. For he, referring to Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. The, the literal context is the divide that existed culturally between the Jews and the Gentiles. And when Jesus Christ died to save all, he brought those two together. And it didn't matter anymore if you were of Jewish heritage or of Gentile heritage. You are all one in Christ Jesus now. Kind of like the song says, that these chains of oppression are broken. The slave is now our brother. That might have been the attitude of a Jew to a Gentile back in those days. He reconciled everybody to God, oh, and to one another as well. That's the gospel. It brings peace. That's what it does. So loving the lost, well, if loving the church is fellowship, loving the lost is ministry. It's ministry. That's what we're to do. It's evangelism. It shows that you care for this lost world, that there are people who have yet to experience the joy you've experienced, so let's take the word to them. Maybe you're here today at the invitation of somebody else. They loved you enough to bring you here so that you could hear about this gospel of peace today. Maybe you have friends that you have invited and, and intend to bring next week as once again we will have an evangelistic presentation. We will explain the gospel and how people can respond next week. Bring your friends. This is ministry. This is what we do. It is literally the confession of a life that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It manifests, it manifests itself in that we love the church and we do ministry. We reach out to the lost world. But maybe most comprehensively, and we're going to end with this, you just love the Lord because the stanza ends and rolls into the final chorus by saying, sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim. And this is worship. I didn't put it in your note. That's what this is. This is praise. This is worship. This is giving God the glory he deserves. It's magnifying his name. That's what he wants us to do. I love, oh, holy night. So let's all stand and prepare to sing it with some, some feeling. But while you do stand and come to your feet, I, I want you to also bow your, eye, bow your heads and close your eyes because I, I do want to pray as the band comes up and gets ready. Before we sing, I want us to just be able to respond to the Lord. So don't look around. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but I do want to ask you this question. If you're here and you would say, Man, I need to begin my personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God has spoken to me today. I just want to pray for you, that's all. I just want to pray for you, and then we're all going to sing together. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you're at? Just raise it and hold it up high. 
I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but man, I want to surrender to the Lord today. Anybody at all? I'm looking around. If you know that you're saved, man, are you enjoying the comfort of that relationship? And what is the confession of your relationship? What, what is the communication of your life as a result? Man, I hope it's the message of this song. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you so much for the truth of your scripture and how your story is not just a story of history. It is very, very personal. So I pray that you would receive our worship as we offer it to you now. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.